Well, it's great to be here with you, great to be worshiping with you, and uh, man, we are walking through a series called Laying Hold, Laying Hold, and uh, so we're talking about what it looks like to pray powerfully, passionately, purposefully. What does it look like to get what prayer is actually about? You know, all too often we get distracted on the things that prayer could be about, but that it's not actually about, and we get off into all these little uh, corners and rabbit trails that really distract greatly, and, and uh, man, what is prayer? And so we came up with this phrase, laying hold, from a quote from Warren Wearsby, where he says, prayer, it's not laying hold of God's reluctance, his unwillingness, but instead it's laying hold of God's willingness All too often we go to prayer because we feel like God doesn't want to answer it and we need to bash hard enough and push long enough and maybe he'll finally give in. And uh, everybody just say, that's not prayer. Dude, that's not prayer. That's actually manipulation of some sort. I'm not even sure what that is. I don't have a good word for it, but let's not do that, right? Prayer, it's us understanding the greatness of our God. It's us coming before him with all we've God, it's us longing for his will in our lives, and we start laying it all out before him, and there's a variety of ways that that comes about. And so we took this phrase, laying hold, and we go back to the first two weeks, laying hold of our weakness. That can be a very unfun time as we take a really hard look at where we're faltering. But laying hold of our weakness, laying hold of those moments of temptation and those moments of challenge, those moments of failure, where we begin to grasp in our hurt, in our wanting, and our dropping, Lord, I need you. And um, may your prayer be fervent because you've grasped your weakness. Man, do not leave week number one because without it, if we're like, dude, I'm not weak, I don't need help, I'm perfect, I'm great. Our prayer is going to be pretty wanting, right? And so, Lord, may I constantly understand my weakness. And last week, we looked at laying hold of the Holy Spirit. And so, God, he's got an answer. And Jesus Christ, as he said, look, I'm going away, but I'm going to leave a helper for you. And as we said, he's called a helper because helpers help. And the Holy Spirit here with us taking part in our daily walk, shaping, changing, and in fact, 2 Corinthians 3, his glory pouring over us, he transforms us from one degree of glory to the next. God's plan is not, all right, I told you what to do, now go muscle it up. And uh, everybody say, not that plan. That is not the plan. And uh, where I just know what it's supposed to be, so I keep trying to force it to happen in my life. The Holy Spirit changing me one degree of glory at a time. And I'm pouring it back on him, and he's pouring it into me. And I'm being shaped and changed. That's laying hold of my weakness. That's laying hold of the Holy Spirit. And uh, now this week, we're talking about laying hold of companionship, as it's called in the book we're walking through. So our impact groups have this book called Journey to Victorious Praying by Dr. Thrasher, and we're going through that, just so you know, and so each of these weeks kind of aligns with one of the sections of the book, all right? And uh, this week is laying hold of companionship. This is partnership in prayer. What does it look like to be praying for one another? We've been talking a little bit the last couple weeks about praying for ourselves and with our God alone, but what's it look like to be praying for others, all right? So turn with me, if you will, to James chapter 5, starting in verse 13. 
James chapter 5, starting in verse 13. And uh, what does it look like for us to be praying for one another? And uh, we'll just start with the first step here, point number one. In all circumstances, at all times, approach the throne in faith. In all circumstances, at all times, approach the throne in faith. Man, a faithful, trusting, believing heart is a huge part of our prayer walk, and we need to grasp that. We're going to be walking through the book of James here, chapter 5, and um, just so you know, James 5 is actually a book just chocked full of imperatives. You know what I'm talking about when I say that? These verbs that are in the command form. Do this! And in fact, 54 different times in five chapters, there is the command, do this! And uh, we're going to see a handful of those uh, right here in this chapter, seven of them to be specific, just in the section we're looking at, where there's some call to action, but let's be careful, God's not calling us to muscle it, and uh, so dependence in the midst of this, all right, and, uh, and yet an alliance of our action. So here we go. He starts out in verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So let's just walk this through. Is any among you suffering? And uh, literally, is any among you experiencing pain or, or sorrow or affliction? Are you hurting in some way, emotionally, spiritually, or physically? Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Just so you know, that phrase, let him pray, it's in the command form. Basically, it's saying, are you hurting? Pray. Man, get on your knees before your God and bring it to him. He cares about what you're going through. He longs to take part in what you're walking through. Do not walk it alone. I cannot say that firm enough. Do not walk it alone. Is anyone suffering? Let him pray. Uh, And then he goes on, he says, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. I love this part because let's be real. If we're going to do it the American way, it's is anyone suffering? Let him demand, right? Like, God, please give this to me. And uh, what are you doing, God? Right? We get a little demanding in our talk. Probably not actually prayer in some levels. Not dependence. Not letting him lead. Not with faith. Right? We demand. And then when everything is going well, is any cheerful? Well, then forget about God. Go live your own life. You don't need him right now. And uh, that would be the American prototypical walk in prayer. May we learn to not do that. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Man, this is talking about you and your God having a talk where you're like, this is awesome, God. Thank you for what's going right right now in my life. Thank you for the amazing blessing you've brought. This is amazing. I never thought it was going to go like this, but it did. Thank you, Lord. And uh, singing praise. Cheerfully thanking God, not forgetting about God because there's no more pressure on, right? And uh, make sure that your cheerful moments are not the, okay, pressure's off, now I can just think about me again. And uh, that's a ba- everybody say, that's a bad plan. That's a bad plan, man. 
May we be in prayer whether we're suffering or cheerful. Hopefully you see the opposing sides to that. Is anyone suffering? Is anyone cheerful? And both times he's like, bring it to your God. And uh, what a sweet opportunity for us to be able to constantly be talking with our God, thanking him, appreciating him, and at times even coming before him and requesting, supplicating, if you want to use that word, uh, crying out to him in need. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is any among you sick? Let's be really careful with this word, okay? In some of your translations, it says, is anyone weak? And uh, that's probably a better translation. The word originally there, it, it means to be brought to some level of weakness. In fact, as you walk through the progression here, quite frankly, it probably means you've been under the gun You're hurting, man. You're suffering. And this maybe even physical suffering or whatever it is, it's beginning to wear you down. That's sort of the implication here. Is any among you weak or sick? Is this starting to take a toll on your soul? Are you beginning to feel yourself dragging under the weight you're currently carrying? That's what he's talking about. And so it may be an emotional weakness, it may be a spiritual weakness, it may be a physical weakness. Is any among you sick or weak? And uh, Are you worn down and you can't fight much longer? Notice what it says then. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over him. So let's just break it down. Let him call for the elders That's a very specific role within the church. That's a very specific responsibility. We have six elders in this church. And uh, Pastor Kent and I both serve as elders, as staff side elders. And then we have four guys serving as elders who are on the lay side. They're not on staff paid, but they are elders serving like crazy men. And we have six elders serving together, pouring it on together. And I love serving with this team. This is a team that knows how to laugh together. They know how to struggle together. They know how to pray together. They know how to decide together. And God moves with this team. But we have more responsibility than just sitting in a room and deciding things. And one of the jobs is caring for the body with all we've got. We have elders and pastors down front after every service. Maybe you've never noticed that before. But as you guys are beginning to exit, we have people that are lining up across here, pastors, elders, wives, we're packed out up here for you. We're ready to meet with you, we're ready to talk with you, laugh with you, get to know you if this is your first week, maybe you're coming down with a hurt, and we're praying over you, we're excited to be a part of that. We do this all the time. And uh, man, our elders are praying over you and for the ministries of this church and all that's going on. There's a number of times where we have had elders even praying over a staff member, another elder, or somebody going through something tragic in the body where we've had them up front and we pray over them. There's a ton of times where we've had them in our elder meeting or between services where elders are meeting with and laying hands on and praying over them. And uh, man, our elders pray for you. They pray for you from a distance. They pray for you right there together as we rally it together. Please notice it says, let them call for the elders. How weak are they? Notice it doesn't say, go run over to the elders. 
doesn't say that, right? It says, let them call for the elders. This is a very struggling, weak, hurting person calling for the elders, and the elders are coming to visit them. We've had a lot of opportunities where our elders and pastors are visiting in the hospital and going to visit people. And, and uh, what happens when you go to visit and they're laying in the bed? Well, you come up to them. And you're chatting with them and you talk with them and there's maybe a little bit of laughter depending on where they're at and how they're feeling. Maybe it's a very somber, heavy moment and we're spending a little time together and then there's a point where we pray and we're putting a hand on them. We're getting people to rally together and you are in fact over them. They're laying on the bed, right? And so when it says pray over them, just so you know, that's not like some Christianese moment, right? And so we've turned that phrase into, hey, we should pray over yada, 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 right? But the reality is this is actually a geographic moment, man. The person is laying down on the bed weak, and we are coming and laying a hand on, and there is an actual over them as we cry out for God to work. And as we cry out for this one to have a patience in the midst for whatever God is doing, and we long to see him move and... Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. This is a huge part of elder ministry, is caring for our body and praying for our body. And, and uh, we have pastors and elders all over the place who are praying for you and visiting you. And we're willing down front after every service to always be bringing it for you. Please know that, okay? And uh, we love you guys. And uh, Notice it also says here, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And uh, so let's just talk about this for a second. Let's make sure we understand it. There are actually two words in the Greek that would come across to the one word anoint in English, all right? And uh, let's be honest. Uh, do you use the word anoint very much? I don't either, right? Like, did you anoint your cereal with sugar today? Right? We don't use the word anoint in ways like that. And, and so anoint is somewhat of a unique word, sort of been set aside for us in our English in the church today. But just so you know, there were two Greek words that could come across to that one English word. The one word, creo, it actually literally means a ceremonial setting aside for God, a lofty sort of otherness to this moment. And just so you know, that's not this word. Everybody say not. It's not this word. It's not this big, lofty, ceremonial other thing. This is another word. It's a very uh, base, basic word. It means to rub, to rub it in, literally is what it means. It's a little bit unfortunate that the word anoint is used here. And quite frankly, it would have been much more appropriate if it literally read this way. Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, rubbing in oil in the name of the Lord. And uh, it would have probably been a little more appropriate to read that way. And so it's speaking to the medicinal steps that took place very regularly back then. And using oils as sort of a relief element and a refreshment element. And there was some level, there is some level of use of oils that can do that. There are some things in certain oils that can have a relaxing effect or even taking away pain or whatever. And so this was very much about a medicinal element, a rubbing effect. There was a sense of rubbing in on the back or whatever, into the hair, whatever it might be that was going on. Know that that's the word chosen. 
And so let's be very wise to what's being said. It actually is kind of saying here then, go to them, pray for them, and do the practical with them as well. Right? That would be a very good way of understanding this sentence. And so it's not wrong for us to pray over and say, have you talked to a doctor? And are you getting some care on this? And um, here's some Advil. Right? Caring for. That's not a wrong moment to make sure we make sense of what's actually going on. Now, notice it does say, in the name of the Lord. And so God's still invested in this and involved in this. It's not separate and other from God doing a work in this life, but there is some sort of practical element as well as a spiritual element going on here. And we need to land that ship and make sure we get that, right? And so, yes, oil, they did rub it in. It does have a value. And all right, I'm just going to go there. So for those of you who are into essential oils, you got a verse, man, right? I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, please be careful using that verse. Uh, don't overuse, don't overcook, but I will just tell you, there was some value to medicinal oils and using some things to get some value out of it physically, and uh, that is some of what's going on here, all right, and making an impact with that, and uh, so... Let them call for the elders of the church and let them bring their essential oils is not what it says, <laughs> right? But, uh, but it does say uh, anointing him with oil, being practical, being uh, real. And I don't know why I went there. That wasn't in my notes. I shouldn't have gone there at all. <laughs> I don't know if it'll be in the 11. We'll see. And uh, all right, lost my place totally. Yeah. So the reality we are called as elders to come and pray over and to care for, to have a spiritual element and a wise practical element as well. We care for you, man. And all of our elders care for you and they love you with all they've got. Man, we are in this together. You hear me? We are in this together. And you have a leadership that will lay it on the line for you and does all the time. Praise be to God. All right, it says, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And the prayer of faith, what kind of prayer? The prayer of faith, Lord, we believe in you, we trust in you, we're counting on you, we're longing for you to work. We know that you have our best in mind, right? It's not, I've asked for it, now give it. I have faith you'll do exactly what I said. No, it's not that. It's, Lord, I have faith that you'll do exactly what's needed, and I'm trusting in you. Our prayer of faith is that God has it in hand, and we're longing for him to work. The prayer of faith will, now again, save and sick, connect those words together. There is a sense of bringing this weak one back to health. That's what's implied there in the original language words, bringing the weak one back to strength. And it might mean that physical stuff is gone. Might. It might also mean that God has said, you know what? I'm going to ask this one to walk through that physical struggle, but man, am I going to pour into their spiritual life. They are going to have a strength as they stand up into this where they are going to be able to face it down with joy in their hearts and watching God move. A spiritual strength that could be a part of it too. And that's huge answer to prayer. And... Uh, we long for God to choose to do whatever he feels is right to do. And all of God's people said, and that's huge. So this isn't the name it, claim it game. I demanded physical healing. God has to give it now. 
Everybody say, not that. But God might choose to do that. He might. And we're good with that. We won't say it won't happen. We'll say God knows what's best and we trust him. And sometimes he will affect the physical and sometimes he will affect the spiritual and the physical. Always he will be working with your spiritual life. And again, all of God's people said, I'm just telling you that little moment right there, that is a huge moment for understanding prayer. Because if we go roaring into prayer saying, I demand he gives, that's the end of it. There will become a frustration with prayer very fast as God's moving in a certain way and you didn't get the memo yet, right? And you're like, what's he doing? And God's got a plan. And lean on him with that. And sometimes the physical, always into the spiritual. That's God's plan, okay? That's where we're headed. All right. One last piece. It says, And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. This is a huge moment. Just so you know, when people come to pray with us as elders and we pray over them, uh, we're very clear about this. Notice the connection between sin and sickness here. Like it feels like it's just a grinding gear shift of a change of topic, right? If there's someone sick, let's pray over them and God will heal them. He'll raise them up. There's something going on and his sins will be forgiven. What's with that? And just so you know and understand, this is a very direct connection between how we're feeling emotionally, how we're going through things spiritually, how we are physically, and our sin life. I'm not comfortable with that, Tim. I don't really like that little innuendo. And I know we have to walk that very carefully. And so I'm just going to say this. We always ask this when we're praying over his elders. Is there any sin you're holding on to that you know needs to be let go of? Could it be that God is working with you? Not saying must be, but could it be that there is some sin you're holding on to and God is wanting you to learn to let that go? Could it be? Could it be a pride thing you're holding on to? Could it be something else? that needs to go. Could it be? And then we walk that through. And uh, let's be real, man. None of us is perfect. It's not that we're saying, are you sinless in the last week or month? It's not that question. It's, is there something you're holding on to that is more important than your God and you will not let it go? And it might be costing you in some facet. And, uh, Let's bring that before our God. And as the elders are praying over, that's one of the things walked through as we pray over them. And man, that can often reveal and release sin. It's not that an elder praying over them somehow got them forgiven of sin. Everybody say, not that. Right? There's one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. And so it's you and Jesus Christ, and you're praying to him, and he's forgiving and releasing as you confess it out. Praise be to God. And there's a reality that gets settled into as God does a healing work in your life. And uh, this is a deep theology on prayer and suffering and healing and God's will. And we got to make sure we got it down and that we understand it. If we start running out of here saying, man, you just ask for it and God will do it. I got a verse in James 5 now. And, and uh, that would be a grave misunderstanding of what's going on in this passage. Okay? But... If we walk out going, eh, God's just going to do what he's going to do. I got no idea what to say or do. We're also missing it. We have a chance to be front 
lines to watching God work and taking part in the ministry he's a part of. Do not miss out on seeing it. And I'll just say it this way as a lame example. It's the difference between hearing about the Super Bowl and being on the 50-yard line, watching it go down. That's what's going on with prayer. Don't just hear about God working in this world. Participate with him and see him move. Yes, his will. Yes, him doing a thing. But God's got it in hand, not you. And all of God's people said, that's a great theology to prayer. All right, that said. So uh, we were in Haiti uh, a couple years back, uh, getting them to launch Harvest Bible Chapel, Jacques Mal. We were working with them. And uh, Pastor Steve McGinnis, Steve Belzer, and myself were down there, same as just last couple weeks back. And, and uh, so we were down there helping them launch this church. They had been a church of about 150 to 200, and they were getting ready to go online public as Harvest Bible Chapel, Jacmel, Haiti. And uh, we were going to be there for their very first service as Harvest Bible. It was an exciting time. They had balloons all over the place. They had advertisements up all over in the community. And people wearing t-shirts all over the place that said it. And uh, just a really cool idea uh, to see them moving through these things. And um, it got to Saturday and tons of stuff in motion. And Abraham's moving and shaking down there. And such a sweet, unassuming guy who rules the world down there of Jack Mel. And uh, man, I'm telling you, when he says things go, and uh, it's amazing how God has used his humble heart in the midst of that. And on that Saturday, he was saying and doing some things, and all of a sudden he goes, ah, mm. and we're like, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, this pain is just coming gone a little bit back here, and, and uh, a little bit later again, and a little bit later again, and it's moving around the side, and uh, so you know what it is? Right? And so now and we're like, kidney stone, right? As it's coming around and starting to get to the front. And, and so now we're like, it sounds like a kidney stone. And he was like, I don't know what that is. And so we started talking it through and we're like, you might want to get to a hospital to get a little bit of pain meds. And like, it'll make you crawl a wall. It's not the end of the world, but man, does it hurt. I've had a kidney stone once in my life. I don't really ever want one of those again. And, uh, and we're like, let's get you to a hospital. And so he goes to the hospital. We stayed back. Took, I don't know, half hour to an hour. And somebody comes running back from the car and they're like, you guys need to come with us and pray over him. It's not going well. Okay? And we didn't know what that meant. So we jump in a car and drive across Haiti, Jack Mel, and get to the other side of the hospital and they take us into this room. No air conditioning. It had to be 120 degrees in there. You walk in and you're just starting to drip right away. There's an IV in them and that's about it. It's a stark, cold room. That's it, just bare room. And we're like, what have they said? Not much at all. They just put this IV in me, and I'm grinding it out. It's killing me. Pray. And so literally, the medical attention, the ability to get on it, they had almost nothing. To, I'm like, do they have morphine? Like, I'm not a doctor, but that worked really well for me one time. And, uh, and uh, they don't have it. We, don't, we can't do that. And, and like, he's just writhing in pain. And so Steve and Steve and I basically began to pray over Pastor Abraham one at a time as he's laying in bed and we're laying hands on and elders and pastors have now been called and we are praying over. Lord, just can you heal this please? Could you stop this pain? Could you make this either go away or be passed or if we're wrong about what it is, help it to be diagnosed 
Lord, can you resolve this now? That's our request. One praise, and then the next praise, and then the next praise. Lord, could you continue to keep things going well back at the church as they're getting prepped for the launch tomorrow? And will you heal this man? And now back again as we start going through. And I don't even remember how many times, maybe it was the third time around we started to go. And Pastor Abraham sits up and he says, I got to go to the bathroom. I don't know how I decided to say those words just now, but that's what he said. (laughs) And he goes in to go to the bathroom and he ends up passing the stone right then and there. All we're hearing is, ah! And then he comes back, he opens up the door and he leans on the door and he goes, do you remember this? He goes, I will never forget that moment. <laughs> As he comes over and he sits down on the bed and he goes, all good now. <laughs> and uh, God chose to pass that stone right then and there. Amen. amen. And um, hey man, sometimes God decides to heal the physical right then and there. And uh, I'm just telling you, we were in that moment kind of going, uh, what just happened? Terrible medical, and God steps in, right? And uh, Abraham had a job to do, and so God moved him ready to do it. And and I love that God answers that way. And, And you know what? In that case, he worked with our spiritual and Abraham's physical. And quite frankly, it took me a little bit of a way. That took us down the path a bit on the what's it like to be struggling as a church in Haiti without the medical and without everything else. And I'm telling you, God does things in different places in different ways because of needs and because of how he's working on souls. Let God work. And all of God's people said, Amen. amen, man. So we come at it with a prayer of faith. And we trust in God along the way. A simple question, are you struggling? Pray. Are you weaker because of the struggle? And call for some help. Get some elders around you. Let us pray over you. Come down front. Let some pastors pray over you. Maybe it's midweek where we meet up and we do a prayer over. May we cover you in prayer. Write it down in the registers. We pray over those every week as a staff, and we have another group of people that prays over those as well. We long to pray over you. And if you're feeling a sense of weakness, write it down. Let's go after it. Call for someone to pray over you. Okay? That's number one. Number two, confess. Confess to one another and pray for one another with confidence and expectation. Confess to one another and pray for one another with confidence and expectation. And uh, he starts out, therefore, and when we see a therefore, we say, right? He's like, hey, with all this stuff about struggle and hurt and prayer and God's role and others praying over you and because of that and it healing you from your sin, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. Confess your sin to one another. Let those words settle. Find someone you can trust in, some people you can trust in to begin to say, here's what I'm struggling with. Here's the sin I keep going back to and it needs to stop. 
confess your sin to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed, healed spiritually, healed physically, healed emotionally, whatever God so chooses in that moment, but come and get the sin clear. And uh, hey, just so you know, this is a lot of the role of our impact groups. Pastor Mike runs our impact groups. We've got 900 plus in impact groups. And, and uh, one of the pieces we do every night is we break down into an accountability and prayer time where we're getting real with each other on where we're at. And, and sure, the first night you're meeting, it takes a little bit of time to begin to trust and lean and get more and more transparent. But the reality is our job is to get real, to do this very verse confessing your faults with one another and praying one for another that you might be healed. And don't miss out on our impact group experience. It is a biblical model of how God works in the church. And all of God's people said, and it's a huge deal as we begin to pray for each other and we confess our sins to one another, getting real with each other along the way. And it says that you may be healed. Please note, God does the healing. He will decide what, when, and where we trust him. Keep your theology of prayer centered on your sovereign God knows. We're getting to the 50-yard line and watching him work. Prayer, okay? And uh, it says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. Some of us are like, prayer of a righteous. All right, well, I'm out. And, uh, you know, just so you know, he's not talking about perfect, but he is talking about dependent upon his God. Right? We'll talk about that in just a second. But notice it says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. I love that phrase, as it is working. There is a dependence upon our God in prayer as we're crying out and watching him work. We are worshiping our God in the moment. That's a prayer at work. And God works amongst that as he reveals out to us the greatness of himself. It says here, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Right? And all the farmers in here are like, don't be praying that. Right? And uh, what's going on here? Just so you know, this is not Elijah going, God, prove to me you're real. I'm going to ask for some ludicrous thing. God working with Elijah, and there was a revealing out through Elijah of God at work in that world, and Elijah was aware of what God was doing. And his fervency and his righteousness, he was fully aware of where God was headed. And as he requests out, hey, three years and six months, he really was like, God, just make it stop raining. And, and really, when you make it clear you want it to start raining again, I'm going to be praying that. And, uh, and he prayed this way. Three years and six months, it did not rain and uh, everybody say, that's a long time. Dude, that is a long time. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. And uh, God was at work in this moment. And uh, if you want to attach a good passage to this verse, John chapter 15, 1 through 11. And uh, we're not going to go into it here, but it talks all about abiding with your God. It talks about drawing life from him, right? And, and then it says, if you abide in him... Here the if. If you abide in him, ask whatever you will and it will be given to you. Are you hearing it? And so there's an abiding, then ask what you will. 
And, and just so you know, when you're abiding with your God, he's going to be making clear where he's moving. And it's not so much you abiding with God as you making clear what you want as much as it is when you abide with God, it's God making clear what he wants. And as you start abiding in him, he starts revealing to you, man. He starts shaping you. You start getting it. You're like, oh, I see what you're doing over here. I see what you're not doing over here. And you start longing for God to work in his way. And for the one who abides, his prayer is so tied to the will of God that the answer is, yes, of course, that's where I'm going. John chapter 11 gives a great understanding of this passage. And abide in him with all you've got. Abide and watch God work. And uh, it's a huge deal. Um, you know, when we talk about sin and hurt and pain and all of it tied together, let me just say this about sin. Uh, the stranglehold of sin is found in its secrecy. The stranglehold of sin is found in its secrecy. That's why it says, confess your sins to one another. You will find that when you tell even one other person, here's where I'm at and this is what I'm struggling with and this sin needs to go and I need it done and others start rallying with you and praying for you, there is a relief in your soul that you, not are, you are not keeping it private and letting it kill you one breath at a time. The stranglehold of sin is found in its secrecy. Uh, confess your sins to one another. That's the healing mechanism, all right? And you might be like, dude, that's pretty scary to me. I'm not sure I really want to tell somebody where I'm failing. And uh, I understand what you're saying. Build a trust and uh, please hear me. Be wise in it. It's not tell anyone and everyone. And by the way, if you know someone who's got the sin of gossip, that would be a good person not to share your sin with. <laughs> I'm just saying, let's be practical, right? Be real about who you're getting real with, all right? And, and you're trusting them and you're leaning on them, but you're confessing sin and they're wise in their counsel and they're helping you out, right? And uh, all right, let me just say this, some steps to power prayer that we can learn from this. Steps to power prayer. Um, three steps here. And I'm going to quote the King James. I grew up in a, a traditional church where we memorized the King James. So I have this verse memorized in the King James. So it goes like this. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That should be on a t-shirt, shouldn't it? As people walk by and they're like, availeth? What is that? Right? The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And that is exactly what we're seeing here when it says the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. That's what he's talking about. And, and so what does this mean? Let's break prayer down into a couple parts. Uh, first, uh, power prayer is going to have righteous people praying. Righteous. And... Um, Number one is it requires righteousness. And I'll just tell you, that includes your character and your confession. Two sides to righteousness. Character as well as living it clean before your God, but where you don't, because let's be real, none of us are perfect, right? He who says he's without sin is a liar. First John chapter 1, right? And so we have sin in our life. And so confessing that out. That's a righteous person. I am living it right before my God, and where I'm not, I'm getting it real as fast as I can. Righteous. 
Character with confession. That's number one. Number two, fervent. Fervent prayer. And uh, this is consistency and passion. Uh, Fervent prayer gets it done with consistency and passion. Um, This is a huge deal, man. If you want some power prayer, it's getting righteous character and confession. Number two, it is getting fervent some consistency, like every day you're going after it and you're going after it with passion. It's not, hey, God, if you could do something over there, that'd be great. And I'll get back to you next month if I remember. Everybody say, not that. Dude, it's not that. It's getting a list and going after it on a regular basis. Lord, I long for you to do something here. I can't wait to see you move. Will you please heal in this way? It's a big deal. Righteous, fervent, and number three, specific. Specific. Asking very specifically for what you want. Not general, Lord, may you be blessed and glorified. Nothing wrong with that prayer. But specific really is mind-blowing. Lord, may you please stop this pain or heal him right away. And he passes a kidney stone in the next five minutes. Be specific. Be direct. Ask exactly what you're looking for. And then, nothing wrong with tagging it, exactly what Christ did in the Garden of Gethsemane. Here is my specific prayer. Pass this cup from me. And then, but not my will be done, your will be done. What am I missing, God? And if I'm missing something, shape me in that. I'm good with it. May you get the glory. Specific, but willing to hand it over to his will. Okay? Not demanding, but specific. So, Number one, for power prayer, righteous. Number two, fervent. And number three, specific. Dude, that is some power prayer going on in your life. That's what it looks like. And uh, I'll just say this, coming out of the book, uh, in Victorious Praying, page 73, it says, I recall a dear pastor, Pastor Hovey, who very skillfully would end his phone conversations in prayer. I felt loved in a special way by Pastor Hovey as he would pray for me. And uh, just so you know, um, Pastor Hovey was my senior pastor. Like, that's who he's talking about. He's talking about the pastor that I grew up with. I went to church with his daughters, Faith, Hope, and Joy. And uh, I did life in this church under this pastor. And, uh, man, I long that we would be a praying church. And all of God's people said, all right. And uh, simple prayer. Are you ready to be going after it with all you've got? Praying for others and righteous, fervent, and specific, making much of it, all right? And then number three, I just decided to throw these two verses in at the end here. I did not want to skip them. Let's just make sure we cover it. Uh, So number three, share in the role of shepherd as you pray powerfully for those around you. Share in the role of shepherd as you pray powerfully for those around you. It says, my brothers, everybody say that means they're saved. If any among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And there's a lot of complication in these two verses But this is what it's saying, man, if you see somebody walking away from God, go after them, love on them. 
Make sure you go after them. And just so you know, there's really two very different ways to understand these two verses. And so let's cover them real quickly in a couple of sentences. Uh, one is it could mean when it says, we'll save a soul from death, it could mean from physical death. And it could also mean from spiritual death. And both of them are very legitimate from the grammar and the context. Either one could be legit. And so let's just take them one at a time. From physical death, it would literally mean that a believer is somehow wandering into sin, going away from the church, getting involved in their own stuff, and it's going to shorten their life. There's something they're involved in that is costing them heavily, right? First John 5, it talks about a sin that leads to death. And we need to understand, man, sin and physical health are sometimes connected together. We need to realize that. And this could be a physical death he's talking about. And then the covering of a multitude of sins would be, think about how much sin is stopped by getting that guy out of his sin and back worshiping his God, right? Great way to understand that. And uh, here's the other one. It could mean spiritual death. And so now you've got somebody posing in the church. They're faking their believership. They're walking with the believers, but they aren't believing it. And they wander off to do their own thing. And they're not saved as they drift out to go do their own thing. And as they come out to share with them, they are now bringing them back to salvation, man. No more faking it. Now you're getting it. And think of the sin that is covered. This is Christ in his shed blood covering their sin First time ever, huge work going on, and a massive deal. Here's what it's not. Everybody say not. This is not a believer losing his salvation and coming back to salvation. And I'm just telling you, we cannot take a passage and make it contradict other passages of Scripture, right? Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ. The end of Romans 8, we cannot be separated from the love of Christ. Ephesians 1, the Holy Spirit, he is a, a given to us as a promise of the inheritance that we will have. What kind of promise is it if he's like, I don't know, maybe, you know, we'll see how you do. There's, there's no promise in that. He is a guarantee of the inheritance. Ephesians chapter 1, salvation is guaranteed because of the work of God being guaranteed. And, and all of God's people said, it's a huge deal, man. So this is not a guy losing his salvation and coming back. But it could be an unbeliever posing in the church and falling away and finally getting saved. And it could be even a believer who's drifting in sin, still trusting in Christ, but getting involved in their own junk. And they're finally getting called out. It's simply saying this, will you be about the role of shepherding? Will you care and hurt for those around you and not more care about what they think of you? Man, if I get in their face, they're going to hate that I'm and less to do about that. I'll just read this. Ezekiel 34. This is God talking to the shepherds of Israel at the time. He said, you eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. Basically, man, you haven't cared for my sheep at all. That's Ezekiel 34, verses 3 and 4. And God, in verse 15, says, so I will do it now. I love that statement. Ezekiel 34, 15, as he says, I will care for them. I will seek out the lost. I will bring them back. And James chapter 5, 19 and 20, he's like, will you take part in the ministry of God Almighty, shepherding the lost and the hurting? Will you come alongside and bring them back and pray for them along the way. And that's our call, is to be deeply invested in those who are struggling 
who are weak, maybe even struggling to the point where they're taking themselves off into sin that could cause death. Man, we gotta be careful how we handle this world. God takes sin seriously, do you? God takes your growth seriously, do you? 